everybody, this is Townsend. I'm a singer, songwriter, musician, and mental health advocate, and I started the You're Not Alone project and podcast to help educate, spread awareness, and simply help you feel a little less alone, no matter what you're going through. Thank you so much for tuning in to Season 2 of You're Not Alone with Townsend. Be sure to click the follow button and share these stories. You can also watch the interviews on our YouTube under Townsend T Music. You can also keep up with the journey if you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Townsend T Music. Every like, follow, and share helps us continue to change lives. I'm beyond excited to announce that I'm releasing a new music project. 2018 was the last time I released a full project, so I'm nervous, I'm excited, and I'm ready to bring you some new music. I collaborated with some of the world's best musicians and a multi-Grammy winning producer to make these songs the very best they could be. They're recorded, perfected, and in the vault just waiting to be released. Here's where you come in. So the recording process is done, but I need your help with the releasing process. Distribution, merch, design video, marketing, all of those things are not cheap. As a matter of fact, we were trying to add up how much we've spent so far in this process, and we stopped counting at $13,000. Oh. So the first time, I'm doing a Kickstarter. I've had so many people wanting to be part of the process, and here's your chance. This gives my supporters a chance to help out, but the best part is you get amazing exclusive offers just for helping out. The team and I sat down and put a lot of thought into these rewards. We have things like phone memos of the songs, exclusive video and audio tracks, songs that didn't quite make the cut, and we even have private acoustic house parties where I can play for you. Every person that helps will get first access to the hit song Let's Sneak Out before it's released publicly. It's gonna be amazing but we need your help. We have 30 days to meet this goal. If it's not met, we get nothing, not us. So donate, share, and please, let's make this happen. Welcome to What is Happening with Townsend. Guys, I am beyond excited about this episode. I know, once again, I say this every week, but truly, this one means so much to me that this guy would take time to hop on. So his name is Peter. I recently ran into him through social media. Of course, several of my friends asked me to give him a follow, look into his story, and I'm so glad that they did. He actually sent me his book called Now I Am Known, and I was just telling him, I, I read the entire book in one setting. Like, it just was so engaging and intriguing and Peter your story is just amazing honestly so thank you so much for joining us I'm I'm ready to hop in if you are right absolutely I am ready to hop <laughs> in as well thank you oh absolutely okay well let's get started who is Peter where are you from like what is your job what is your kid's situation look like I want to personally thank you for taking the time to listen to these conversations it truly means so much We've changed so many lives for the better, and we want to continue doing so throughout 2023. This project is made possible by sponsors and patrons. So if you'd like to help keep the You're Not Alone project going and hearing these amazing stories 
we would love for you to join the family at patreon.com slash Townsend T Music. Just for signing up, you'll get free merch, discounts, and behind-the-scenes patron-only footage, not only of my music, but of each episode. That's right, so each guest on every episode answers a few more questions that only patrons will be able to watch and listen to. So head on over to patreon.com slash Townsend Team Music, and let's continue changing lives. Well, my name is Peter Mitsubazi, and as you can tell, my accent is a bit different. So uh, don't confuse me to come from North Carolina, though I live in North Carolina. Uh, it's been my home for uh, a couple of years. And well, what I love to do, well, I advocate for children. You know, I have a passion for kids in false care, and I am a foster dad, a single dad. I've had 32 kids, and right now I have five, and I've adopted one. And I'm in the process of adopting others. That's pretty my joy. Full-time dad, you know. Wow, <laughs> but, boy. Yes. Yeah, we have two different accents. I have a southern accent and you have an, a, a, what would you call it, a Ugandan accent? How would you say that? I think we call it like a Ugandan-British accent. Ugandan-British. Yeah, that's a, that's what I was going to say. No, just <laughs> <laughs> well, that is fantastic. I love so basically, your platform is just encouraging people to foster and showing them just how great it can be. And if you're able to do it, I think in your book at one point, you said, why can't you? Why can't you foster? And Absolutely. I love it. Yes. You know, and, and as you get to, to hear my story, you, you really get to understand that if I can do it, literally anyone can do it. And that's my whole goal, you know, to really inspire, especially men, you know, in the foster care system, there's more, more, more moms and, and single moms that I want to inspire men to say, hey, we have a role to play in our kids, in the kids lives. And, and if a record person like me can do, you know, we, we can all do it. Absolutely. Yes. Single dad, you don't hear that very much really anywhere, but especially in America, I feel like it's becoming more prominent than it used to be. Stay at home dads are becoming more and more well-known, more and more heard about. So I applaud you. Amazing, amazing work that you've done. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay. Let's hop into your story. Speaking of, you recently released this book. Could you give us a quick summary of your story? Now, I know it's chapters long and your story, you could go for days. I could pick your brain literally for hours and I would love to, <laughs> but what is a, what is a quick summary of your story just to catch people up on you? Well, absolutely. The quick summary is now I'm known. That's actually the title of the book. Now I'm known. How the kindness of one stranger made me known. Literally, I was a street kid who was called garbage, who was treated more like a stray animal. But this man, this man who saw me said, I want to change the life of this little boy. And he changed my life forever. Not because he had but because he saw potential where I could not see myself. And so for me, this book is to really journey with the most people. You know, all of us have gone through the past, but if we can use our past to do better for ourselves, we get to change our lives, but also to not let the past somewhere take our future. And that's why I wrote it, especially for my kids. Yes, they have a good dad. They love so much. But at the same time to say, yes, you love your dad, but he had a past. And if I can be your dad, you love, you can be somebody one day. And that was the whole general way of really writing the book, you know, that we all have a past, but we can use it for good to save other people's lives beginning with ourselves and not letting the future or the past be swept away or be taken by our past. That's really the gesture of the whole book. I love it so much. At one point you said, 
in your book, uh, I wrote it down because I loved it. You said, we're all shaped by our past, but we are not chained to it. Yes. <laughs> I love it. You that know, really spoke out to me because you can change your future and you can use your past to do good things for other people and yourself. I love it. Yes, absolutely. And mo most of us who've gone through people who have hurt us, you know, I think most of them, they want us to fail for the rest of our lives. And in some way for us to say, no, I have control over what I can do in the future. Not, not, now that you're no longer controlling my life in marriage, uh, workplace, you know, parents, as a foster parents, I know, you know, their parents who are not really good to their kids, you know, but even friends, we have friends who have not been good to us. And somewhere we can look in their eyes and say, you know what, I take control of my life, I can change my past, I can change my future, using my past in some way to get where I want to go. I love that so much. And you're such a great example of that. You know, in your book, you discuss trauma quite a bit from your father. And you mentioned living with your aunt and the noises kind of taking you back. Do you still have this type of PTSD? So to kind of catch people up, you start your story as a small boy in a little village in Uganda. You live with your parents, your siblings, and there was a lot of abuse, for lack of a better word, from your father. He was not a very loving, kind, gentle man, which I think people would assume hearing and seeing you that you came from that. But that's that's your whole story. You you come back from that and you change your life. But anyway, so your father was very abusive. You lived in this teeny tiny village. You talk about how you get out of that. You end up living with your aunt, who's also in a very poor little village where you hear a lot of noises, and it kind of takes you back to living with that verbal abuse and the physical abuse from your father. Now, fast forward all these years later, do you still feel like you have this type of PTSD or these flashbacks? You know, not really. But yes, I think as a, as, as, a, as a dad, you know, there are places that I thought I had kind of moved over or, you know, when you're a single person, no one is pinching you or pushing those buttons. It's hard to know if they're there. But when you have kids, oh boy, they push those buttons. <laughs> they, <laughs> they push buttons you don't know were there. Absolutely. In, in my position, how did I overcome this? You know, how did I manage to really be the odds for trauma one, trauma two, trauma three. Also, how does it look like? You know, in the United States, sometimes our kids act differently than, than, than how I acted as a street kid. But to be able to go back in my own life and say, this helped me to understand where I was going, or this helped me to understand my abuse as well, or this helped me to avoid what was coming along, you know, in my life that really helps me to be the best friend I can be. So yes and no. Yes, the trauma comes back. But I think for me, it gives me a little bit more of an insight of what my kids are going through to be able to use that to say, hey, for example, you know, sometimes I have kids who hoard a food and steal it. Well, that's what I did for a living, literally. As a street kid on the streets of Kampala, all I did was to steal. But all I could steal was food. I didn't steal clothes. I didn't steal money. Just food because that's the one thing I like the most. With our kids here as well, the kids who hoard food most time, that's what they're going through. They're worried that tomorrow there'll be no food. So they keep a little for tomorrow, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me to see that and see it as a way of, how do I help each other to know that there will always be food in my family? They, they're okay uh, and in, in a way that helps me to go back in my past, but be able to, to really relieve it and how I can help my kids using my past in, in, in so many ways. I love that so much. I love that. 
do you find yourself still triggered by certain things? Maybe men's voices or certain men, you know, they talk about smells kind of trigger things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I recently read a book talking about this exact thing, talking about foster children and how if their father was an abuser, if they had a certain smell, if you brought that smell around later in life, they would have adverse reactions. Do you find yourself like that? Or it's kind of Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for me, the, the one thing that I think I, I, that really triggers is yelling. When I hear someone yelling at a child or, um, you know, raising their voice, you know, that I think that really triggers, takes me back to the abuse of my father. That's what he did. He yelled, cursed. He just used the word to really berate you in some way, shredding into pieces, but by using his mouth. So that is still a difficult one for me. When someone yells, you know, when someone raises their voice, I'm quickly to, you know, go in a freeze mode. Okay, how do I get out of this? Or how do I run uh, in a way? Even my kids, sometimes when they're angry and they're yelling and, and cursing, it puts me in a position where I say, you know, I have to really knock myself out because it takes me back um, to me as a kid. And but I've learned how to deal with it every day. But it's not that something you get away with. It's, it's, it comes and goes, but you get to know how you get to maintain it and control it when it comes. You know, So that freeze mode sometimes would take for me hours, but now it would take a few seconds to know like, okay, Peter, it's okay. You're okay. You don't have to be in that freeze mode. Uh, and that has helped me to really identify that. Uh, but also learn that my kids, my kids are not my father. You know, that's the place that I have to put myself all, all the time. Like, hey, or someone yelling at the airport or someone yelling at the grocery store. That, that's their feeling they have right there and then. But it's not my father or that isn't coming after me in some way. That has helped me as well. Absolutely. I can't imagine Okay, so how you've shown so much progress, and obviously this book talks about so much that you have just overcome. You basically traveled the world, been given these opportunities to go from an abusive father, you ran away, you were a street kid, as you said, stealing food because you didn't know when you would eat again, given this amazing opportunity from James is what you call him in the book. So how did you learn to put these lies about yourself and these lies that your father ingrained in your head, how do you put them aside? And how do you live with confidence and father with confidence? I know that was a tough one, you know, and and to our listeners, this is what my life was. I never had one kind word from my father. You know, all I had was, Peter, you never mount anything. Peter, you're garbage. Peter, I wish you were never born so I don't have to feed you. So as a kid, when you hear those every morning and every night, I really didn't want to leave because I feel like I was nobody just to hear the verbal abuse I had from, from my father. And then as a street kid, yes, the abuse was a hundred times than my father, but these were strangers that they used words and physical uh, in a way to really abuse us as as street kids. So those took a really long time to heal, but here's what helped me. The family that took me in use words of affirmation quite often, you know? So they will say, Peter, you mad? I'm like, are you sure? Is that that true? You know, Peter, you belong. Are you sure I belong? Because as a street kid, you didn't didn't belong anywhere, you know? So the more I had these words of affirmation that I was chosen, that I was special, that I was loved, that I was not alone, it helped me know like, wait a minute, 
I'm actually not alone. I'm, uh, but also, I think I have potential as well because this man says I'm, I'm special. This man says I, uh, I, 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 I can attend school. This man says I can clean myself. Maybe there's potential in me. And by gaining that, gaining that freedom and knowing that the, the words I had from someone weren't really true, and that really began to change my life. But it was more like a one step at a time, you know? So now, now that I'm in school, that I have shoes, I was like, well, now I look like anyone else, you know? Now that I have food, now I was like, wait a minute, you know, I belong. So a few things, not just that I had, but I saw happen in my own life. And that helped me to believe the words. It wasn't just the words, but the words and the action. When this man gave me food for the very first time, I thought he was going to abuse me. That's really what I thought. So I ran away. But the next time he came, he gave me food. He didn't abuse me. Then third time, the fourth time. So the actions of what he did began to believe of what he said. You know? And that's what helped me overcome the noise of the abuse that I had had for so long, you know, that I began to believe in myself that, hey, all those are lies. Hey, all those are things that someone didn't want me the best, but I can be. And that truly began to change uh, my life uh, in a way. I love that so much. You know, in your book, you talk about how these words of affirmation, you'd never been told that you belong or that you care. I, I think one story you said was, people sitting in the front of the car were meant for special people or for family. And so this man offered you to sit in the front of the car and you said, no, 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 that's for special people or family. And he said, Peter, you are special. And that was the first time you'd ever heard that. And you'd ever felt right. that. Yes. Amazing. Exactly. I, I can remember the day, the time, what I was wearing. Wow. It's so day, important. You know? Yeah, it's so important that we spread these words of affirmation. And it's also why I like to do this podcast is to spread love and awareness and let people know they're not alone with what they're going through. One thing that really stuck out to me was that you made um, you you got a dog for these mm -hmm. children that you're fostering mm -hmm. and yes. you put a little bandana on it and you have these words of affirmation that you had kept. I think you said you wrote them down in a journal or something, which I love. And you wrote them on the dog's bandana so that your kids can read them and keep up and that they can read and they can hear and they can know that they belong. They are loved. Right. So like, well, it began with three notes. So I made one and I put in a steering wheel because we're always in the car. We always talk. That's where we fight. But having those words in the car as a dad, I wanted them to remind me to always say them. When they fight, I said, son, you are special. You don't need to hit your sister. Look at the sister and say, you are chosen to be my daughter, you know? And then one I put in the in, on the fridge because we spend more time in the kitchen, you know? So I was like, I can see them and then I can use them. And then the other in the closet because every time I want to quit, I go to the closet. <laughs> yeah, I love that so, so much. So, so every time I would be in the closet, I'm like, Peter, you, you, you're chosen, you're special, you're, give, you, you're not quitting. And then I'll come <laughs> Get back out to of it. the okay, closet. Shake it off, shake it off, shake it off, go. You know, but, but two, just being able to see them, that was really helpful. But there are dogs too. Our dogs are therapy. And I knew every time my kids kind of are triggered, they would take the dogs and go somewhere by themselves or in their room. And I wanted when they're in that position, when they are feeling so, to have to hear those words and to see them on the dog, to read them. And many times, you know, they come back. I'm like, why did you come back so quickly? 
because Simba said I'm special, you know? Oh. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I love that so much. Just the importance of words and not only words, but actions as well. I love that you are showing that and spreading that. Okay, speaking of kids, what made you feel so called to foster? And you kind of touch on this at the very beginning, but to touch on it again, what what made you feel like, okay, I should foster children in America in a different country I was even raised in? Right. I think for me, when I came to the United States, I struggled seeing the wealth, seeing how much food was thrown away and understanding that where I come from, kids were dying for lack of beans, you know. So that really took on a more of like, man, I have been given so, so much. I better use it for good as well. And that's when I had about four scan. I said, I need to pay it forward because I understood where they were coming from. I understood the trauma they're going through. But also, I understood what someone had done for me, that he changed my life. Not because he had, but because he saw the best in me when I could not see that. And I wanted to use my story and I wanted to use my journey as well to say, if someone can see the best in me, I ought to do the same. And that's why I became a foster dad. But I think I also understand that, that the parents struggle, that I saw that with my mother, that my mother loved me so much, but she was being abused by the same father, the same man who was abusing us. So there was no way she could protect us. And I think for me, understanding that, that I wanted to come alongside moms who are losing their kids and say, I know you've lost your kid, but we should not let you go. But rather, we should come alongside and give you resources so you can have your kids back, you know. And that's really what made me want to be a false parent. One, be a resource to their bio parent, but two, see the best in others like someone did for me. And it was so obvious. I was like, come on, I, I got to be. So I've had 32. I've adopted one and I'm in the process of adopting the other as well. I love that so much. Goodness, you just, you get me hyped up. Like, I'm excited. I just want to go scoop up a bunch of kids and be like, okay, let's go. Let's change the world, make it a better place. I love it so much. Um, okay, so something you mentioned in your book, when a foster child moves into a loving home from a, an abusive home, sometimes they feel like an alien. They, they strive for that normalcy, even if the normalcy was abuse. And so right. they're just striving for normalcy. And that was something for you. You said it was hard to get used to. You know, they fed me once, but they not may not feed me again. How do you go about handling this for foster children? You know, I've, again, you know, my past experience really helps me. But two, you know, I think as foster parents, we always have to learn or know that, hey, this child did not choose to come out to come to my home. This child, I'm not doing them a favor. They would have preferred to stay with their parents. So when I come with that humility, it helps me to really understand where they're coming from. You know, when they don't respect the things I have or when they're questioning where they are, they have the right to. No one should be moved from a place without their knowledge. No one should be, no one should move to strangers. They've never seen and think that's okay. Absolutely not okay. And so for me, embracing what they feel and making sure that my job is not to take away the trauma, but my job is to create space for them to do it on their own, you know, not my own time, but their own time. And I think that has helped me to have low expectation, you know, but to meet the child where they're coming from with their trauma. And I think that's the mistake most foster parents do. We think I'm doing you a favor. You had nowhere to live and I brought you to my home. Well, no, this child did not choose to come to your home, you know. Also, because you're being a mom and a dad to this child, you're not entitled to be their parents. Like it's that 
I chose to be a parent, you know, I chose to be a foster parent because I understood it this way. Help a family, help a child while their parents are getting together so they can have the child back. And that has helped me to understand that all I can do is really validate what they're feeling, come alongside and embrace them as who they are, not as what I want them to be, but who they are. And that includes their feelings. Love that so much. I think that's a great way to word it. I feel like I have several friends and even my family does fostering. And so it is easy to get in that mindset that I'm doing you a favor. Why are you getting an attitude? But I love just that wording. You're not doing them a favor. They didn't choose you. I love that. I think that really puts it into perspective. Okay. So you've got all these things going on. You've got this huge past. You've got all these foster children, all of their baggage, your baggage. I always ask my my guest on the podcast, what does self-care look like for Peter? What do you do for you? Do <laughs> you do ever I have do time? Do you ever have time? Is the closet, <laughs> is that your self-care? Close the bathroom. You, yes. you just, you're counting minutes. My kid... You know. I have an 18 month baby who'll be knocking on the door. Boom, boom, boom. Like, oh, it's just been two seconds. <laughs> Please be <laughs> but, quiet. But I think for, yes, I think culturally, I have to know where I come from. I come from a culture where I worked all day. No one goes to vacation. And family is the most important thing. But then mirroring it back to the United States, being in the US, to know that, you know, there are ways on how people, you know, we should take care of ourselves. For me, running is important you know going a hangout with a friend once in a while is important you know calling a friend especially when things go wrong you know as men i think we are good at saying i, I i'll solve this issue you know but now really learning, like wait a minute i need to i need someone to speak wisdom in my life in order to know how i'm doing so to be vulnerable to others especially for me foster moms have been really important and educative and, and kind to me that when things go tough I have someone to call and be honest and say, I'm struggling. And I think for me, that has provided self-care. You know, I eat well. I try to exercise and eat well. And, and that really helps me. But two, to take it easy with, with my kids. Sometimes I think we want to jump, go swimming. We want to go bowling. We want to go. But sometimes to just say, hey, you know what? We're going to just chill at home and play. And I find that fulfilling and in some way giving me an opportunity to to come down, to switch off and, and, and fill my cup so I can come back to help my kids. I love that so much. Absolutely. Okay. So for the people listening, what's some advice you have for people that are maybe new to fostering? Like I said, I know several people um, around me that are getting into fostering. They're loving the idea, but they are brand new. So what advice would you have for them? Oh, Yes. Oh boy. You probably could <laughs> write a book that? just on that. Just on that, you know. But I would say one thing is if you have a heart for children, do it. If you have an extra bedroom and you have a heart for kids, do it. And here's the other part we don't need to be the most perfect human beings to be parents. But as who we are, truly we can use that to leverage to be the best parents we can be. That's what I would say to anyone, you know. The other two is you have a community that will come alongside. Don't be shy. You know, to me, you know, I have lots of single uh, friends I have when I need food at three in the morning and my kid is sick or I get a child. I know who to call and say, hey, would you help me? I need food and they'll bring it to me. So you have a village to come alongside. And the other part is 
We all have a response. We can all do something. We can't all be false friends. I can say it's hard and it's a calling, but we can all do something. You know, are you the one who brings the meal to the false parents? You know, are you the one who takes their teenagers to the movies once a month or to the video games once in a month? You know, are you the one who gets to send them someone to mow their yard once a month? You know, are you the one who gets to call the mom and say, I'm having coffee and I'm buying and I don't want to hear about your kids. I just want to hear about you, you know, so we can all do a little thing along the way. And I really believe in this saying, it takes a village to raise children or a child, the same in the false care, the same here in the United States. There are kids. We can't hold on for someone else to do what we can do. The other last lie, people say, look at me, they say, Peter, I cannot do it because I'm afraid to be attached. Trust me, attached is the only, only thing parent. If you weren't attached, I don't think you should be a parent. But the attachment is what helps you to advocate for this child, to love on this child, to see the pain they go through. Because you get attached, it's a normal thing to do. But it's not a normal thing to make you stay away, but rather to bring you closer to help kids. I get attached and I get to say goodbye and it sucks and it's hard. But at the end, it's the greatest gift I could give to this kid or their parents as well. So attachment should not be the reason for you to say no, but rather it's the skill for you to be a parent. Did you write that? That was so well worded. I feel like you read that off of a script. That was beautiful. Well, you know, it's 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 what I hear often. I can't get, I don't want to be attached. I'm like, trust me, I'm not a robot. I'm not a tree. I am a human being who has feelings and I get attached. Yeah. But it's what makes me a better parent, you know? I, I even sometimes use this example. You know, how many of us meet people and say, before I become your friend, I want to know how long you're going to stay. Do we? No. We just become their friends. But a six month later or a year later, they leave. But we still stay in touch. The same with our kids. We never know when they will go. We never know. But we get to be there when they need us. I love that so much. I love it. All right, Peter. So for me, I love the fostering. I love that you are advocating for these kids. I love all that you stand for, that you're using your past to kind of change the future for not only yourself but for other people as well but one thing for me that really stuck out when I read this book was someone came along they offered you school they offered you shoes they offered you food and all I could think was we take so many things for granted I mean I don't I don't worry about lunch being there when lunch comes around I don't worry about dinner being there but reading this book I mean you got excited that he gave you a pair of shoes because you'd never had any. Never had until 16. I never had a pair of shoes until I was 16 years old. I never had a soda until I was 14. And I didn't like it because I drank it and came through my nose. I was like, I'm done with this thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think for me, it just really opened my eyes. I, I try to live a very thankful, very grateful life. And so reading things like your book and hearing from people like you just really remind me we are so just blessed, for lack of a better word. We are blessed. Every day that you wake up, you just have more than enough. You have something. If you're watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, you have a way to do that. And I think it really, what you say is perfect. If you have enough to do that, you have enough to foster a child. Everybody right. can do it. 
Exactly. And here's what you can do. Two things. Go to your closet, open it, look through and say, what should I be grateful in this closet? Mm -hmm. That's one. Two, go to your pantry or your fridge, open it and say, what's in here that I can be grateful for? Here's why. 90%, 99% of my village would go to bed hungry. And they're not asking for beans and potatoes, just beans, just beans. So when I think that when we are grateful, we limit even that I, I feel like our physical health is better when we are grateful for what we have, because we don't have to worry about the stuff that I, if I can begin with what I have now, it really helps me to see the future in perspective way. Like, wait, I have so much to be grateful about. No, but it begins with small things. I love that so much. Absolutely. Okay, Peter, if you wouldn't mind it, tell people where they can find this book. Because like I said, I read it in one setting, started it one night. Next night, I sat down and read the whole thing. So where can people find your book? Well, you can find my book in every bookstore, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, uh, Amazon. That will get you really fast. And if you want to want me to sign that for you, you go to my website. Now I'm known. I'll sign it and I'll send it to you. Thank you. Thank it. you. I love it. I'll have you know, Peter, I sent my friend that was just fostering. I sent him a picture of the book you sent and he said he would be ordering one ASAP and he wanted you to sign it. So I'm going to send him over to your website. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for all that you do, not only for these kids, but for advocating for them and just sharing your journey. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for making a steam hard and all. I love your website that you're all about lifting others and encouraging others. And we feel wanted. We feel known and we feel hard by just your message. Oh, thank you so much, Peter. I tell everybody that comes on, when you come on my podcast, you signed a verbal agreement that we're going to be friends now. I'm going to check in on you. <laughs> uh, keep me updated. Keep posting. I love seeing all that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I won't keep you. Have a wonderful day. And everybody, we will see you next week. Absolutely. You as well. All right. See you later, Peter. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. If you'd like to hear the rest of this interview, visit patreon.com slash Music. And don't forget, you can also watch the interviews on our YouTube channel at Townsend Team Music YouTube. Okay, guys, if you're in the market to buy or sell, I have the perfect company for you. Clark & Co. Realty is located in the Benton, Bryant, Arkansas area. But they're able to serve you no matter where you're located in the state. They've streamlined the process of buying or selling a home to make it so much easier. They have a team of industry experts that make sure you have access from anything you can think of. I'm talking from local home inspectors to painters to gardeners and so much more just to provide you with the best service possible. They're dedicated to providing the most up-to-date market data in the area. And I think the coolest part is if you go on their website, you can use their easy-to-use fast property search. You can even create a custom market report to see what's active, under contract and sold in your neighborhood. Their team is made up of caring, knowledgeable professionals that work around the clock to help you with the process of buying and selling your home. So again, if you're in the market to buy or sell, Clark & Co Realty is definitely the company for you. Tell them Townsend sent you. Let's be honest. I think we could all use somebody to talk to every now and then. Healing Path Counseling in Conway, Arkansas is 100% my go-to when it comes to therapy. Wendy Blackwood has more credentials than letters in the alphabet. 
She's won awards for her outstanding services and has a whole page of board memberships. Basically, she knows what she's doing. She works hard to help equip you with the tools needed to live your best life. She even offers a variety of services including, but not limited to, cognitive behavioral therapy, technology-assisted counseling, relationship counseling, and EMDR. Trust me, I know therapy can be intimidating at first, but let me assure you, Wendy does her best to make you comfortable and find the best solutions and plans for you. Trust me, don't wait to make the call. Give Wendy Blackwood Healing Path Counseling a call today. Get started on the best version of you. 